If you could multiply something 50 times, what would that something be? Milkshakes? Minutes in the day? How about money? The Virginia Lottery's 50 times the money scratcher gives you 25 chances to win on each ticket. You could win up to $3 million playing 50 times the money. Yeah, multiplying money sounds like fun. No offense to milkshakes. Virginia Lottery Scratchers. Everyday wins. Visit a lottery retailer near you. For odds and more information, visit VALottery.com. What's up, everybody? This episode of the Binge Boys podcast is brought to you by Inkwell Publishers. Inkwell, the starting publisher and lifelong story chasers who are reimagining, redefining, and recreating the publishing experience for writers. If you're going to write a book, Inkwell. Check out inkwellpublishers.com for more information. Again, if you're going to write a book, Inkwell. What's going on, guys? It's episode 149 of the Binge Boys podcast. I'm your host, Logan Lewis. As always, thanks for being here. Uh, We got a really special episode, as you could probably tell from the title, and you're probably confused on what's going on here, but I'll tell you what's going on here. But before I tell you what's going on here, let me remind you to go ahead and follow the Binge Boys on Instagram. That's where you get the news, the reviews, the updates the episode posts, all of the above. That's where you get those on the Binge Boys Instagram. And if you haven't rated, reviewed, subscribed, all of that stuff, uh, what are you doing? It it takes 15 seconds. You hit a little button. That's it. There's very few things easier than subscribing to a pod. It's it's not hard. Uh, So so please go and do that. But today uh, we are doing a special interview it's the first of several of a little sub series of the binge boys you know since the time that binge boys slash hold on to your butts for some of you oldies um that has that has gone uh that has gone on we've always covered music tv movies video games and uh political events here and there but nothing major uh but there's one more medium that we've never covered really unless i'm blanking we've never covered a certain medium and that's books books are another form of entertainment sure they're not as easy to view as flipping on netflix and and binging 12 episodes of the latest season of whatever but books is another form of entertainment that brings millions and millions of people joy um and that's what we're doing today i'm going to be interviewing an author. I'll just bring her out. Tiffany, what's up? How's it going? Hello, Logan. Thank you so much for having me here. It's going great. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for being here. It's, I'm really excited that we're doing this. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, before we get into it, go ahead and tell the people about yourself, uh, just general background, and then we'll start diving into the uh, the questions. Sure. So uh, my name is Tiffany LaFleur. I am a Canadian author, so just across the border. Um, And yes, it is a little bit colder up here in Canada. Um, And I am a recently published author. My debut novel came out in June. It's called The Sapero Chronicles of Forgotten Past. And it is uh, a young adult fantasy novel, the first in a trilogy that I'm currently working on. 
Super exciting, super exciting. And um, we'll go ahead and just, I guess, dive right into it. Give me the the Tiffany origin story. Like, from from start to finish, did you always know you were going to be a published author? Was it what you wanted to go into ever since a child? Did you, were your parents noticing habits from you at a young age? What's uh, what's give me the give me the rundown. Give the people what's up. Sure. So I've I've always been a storyteller ever since I was a very very young child. Um, to the point where, uh, you know, parents of, of friends that I had in kindergarten and first grade, whenever I would see them, would ask me, "All right, Tiff, what what story are you working on now?" And I I never wrote those stories down, but I always had them in my head, and I would tell them to anyone who bothered to listen to me. Um, and and being a published author was always a dream of mine from from the get go. As soon as I kind of learned that people could take these stories that they told in their head and bind them together and put them in a book to then share with the world. That's kind of the aha moment that I had where it's where I, I figured, okay, this, this is what I'm meant to do. This is what I want to do. Um, and, and that's kind of the thing that I've been working towards for, for ever since I was a, a little, a little girl. And um, so writing has been, uh, really a, a, a passion of mine forever. Um, and being being an author as, as a job is very difficult, um, but it's something that I've been doing even in my professional life. So I work in communications, I study journalism. So I was able to incorporate writing in, in a professional standpoint and write creatively on, on the side whenever I have time. Wow, yeah. Uh, writing was something that I personally also have loved to do forever. I'm trying to get right back into it. I've told myself that I wanted to write a book for I don't know how many years. And um, I'm, I'm thinking that in 2021, I'm going to pick up the pen and paper again and take another stab at it. So it's awesome to be able to talk to someone that's made uh, their career uh, writing and being a published author. Is that I, I know nothing about like the publishing process. So like, obviously, we're here because of Inkwell, you'll hear their name thrown out several times uh what uh, how did the inkwell collaboration begin because you if i'm remembering correctly you've published already two books before you met inkwell or yes. you're okay okay yeah <laughs> so it's um so the the publishing story is a, a little bit of serendipity and especially the the journey to meeting uh beverly floyd my wonderful uh, publisher with Inkwell. Um, so I, I got a contract for A Forgotten Past, oh my gosh, two years ago now. And then it was finally published uh, this past summer. And in the interim, I was working on other books, but I also started to freelance as a um, developmental editor to help other writers get shape their stories and edit it to make it um, up to a, a publisher's standards, if you will. Um, and that's actually how I met Beverly at Inkwell is she she hired me initially as a freelance editor for one of her uh, other authors. And um, I, I, I don't know what I was doing. I was maybe lying in bed at night or, or just moping around the house. And uh, it clicked that Inkwell was a new publisher that was currently soliciting uh, submissions and I happened to have a script that I had written in university. I took a, a year-long script writing course so I had a full movie-length script uh, just sitting on my hard drive in my computer that I had sort of plans long-term to adapt into a, uh, a book at some point and uh, and then I put two to two, two and two together and figured okay well maybe 
Beverly would be interested in the script. Um, so we set up some time and she was very interested in, in having the script appear under the Inkwell banner. Um, and then I also remember that I had a children's book that I was working on with a friend and colleague of mine uh, who is my my illustrator. We come kind of as a, as a team. Um, and so I asked Beverly, well, would you be interested in a children's book as well? And she was. So overnight, I ended up having two projects with, with Inkwell that we're now working on. Uh, the children's book, uh, Imagine, The Imagination Machine, will be appearing sometime spring, early summer next year, 2021. And the um, adult thriller, no, the adult psychological thriller is going to be uh, at some point next year. I'm still currently working on that one. And that one is, uh, so far the title is A Slow Descent. Slow Descent, okay, perfect. So so yeah, so you've got, essentially for, in, in my mind, you've got three pillars of your writing career thus far. So you have the children's books, you have the the screenplay that you're turning into the novel, and then you have uh, the the trilogy that you're writing um, let's let's start with the the children's book stuff. So, mm -hmm. if I'm got, getting this right, you uh, you wrote Susie and the Dinosaurs. I did. Yeah, that came out almost a year to the day, actually, November fourteenth, uh, wow. twenty nineteen. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> actually, like a year ago tomorrow. Or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Happy one year anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> what um, was was writing the children's book something that you thought was since you've already obviously published a book that is a young adult you know uh full length like novel is writing children's books harder is it easier i've heard the same opinions or the the, the two d different opinions on children's books cuz that's the kind of book that i would love to be able to write is a children's book um tell me about the children's book process Sure. Um, so I'll just preface this by I am by saying I am no expert. This is just how I approach writing. But for for children in particular, I think it's it, it's a strange conundrum because you can't have as many words as a young adult or a middle grade or an adult book, right? Um, usually, a good children's story is anywhere between five hundred or eight or eight hundred eight hundred words, depending on on the age. Um, so that's one challenge. You have very few words to tell a very compelling story. So each word really, really needs to, to be important and it needs to kind of be worth including in the story. Um, and then you've also got your audience that you have to think of. So you're, you're dealing with children. A, a children's perspective of life is obviously different than an adult's. So the challenges that a child faces and that a um, and and that they would be interested in seeing in a story need to reflect more that audience. So for a kid, maybe going to school is the biggest thing that they could ever deal with right now, as opposed to an adult book where maybe it's, you know, taking over an empire or um, overthrowing a corrupt government. So um, the challenge with children's books is making those stories appropriate for the audience in the limited word count that you have. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I'll have to go and try to find me some, some uh, copy of Susie and the Dinosaurs. I'm, I, I like to think that I know what your, 
your inspiration was for the your first children's book, but we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that a little. We'll later. get there eventually. We'll get there eventually. And Beverly, <laughs> she, she knows exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, but uh, but so yeah, let's let's jump into the screenplay that you're currently working on. So you wrote that, like you said, in in university. Yes. Um, you had to write a full script for like a final project or one of your capstones or or something. How, how what what you exactly. do? So I, I studied communications at Concordia University in Montreal, and um, I, I applied to be in the script writing class. And the script writing class is a year-long course. So you take, um, I think it was comms 307 in the fall semester, and then you take comms 407 in the winter semester. Um, and you could either write different scripts for different milestone projects, if you will, in the course, or what I just, and what I chose to do is to just write a feature long script. And every time we had an assignment due, it was another 20 pages or another 30 pages or however much. So by the end of it, I had um, a, the equivalent of a 90 minute film uh, in a script format that had been reviewed by my peers in, in the course. Gotcha. That's, that's really cool. 90 minute. How do you, how do you calculate the the 90 minutes when you're just writing it down do you just give your best guess about how long each scene is or how does that work so it's actually really interesting with script writing because um when you write a script you have to use a very very uh specific format and a very very specific font so and i forget the name of the font now but it basically looks like a typewriter font and um dialogue is condensed into a shorter column as opposed to description that's longer and they they do this because one page of script roughly equals about a minute when you translate it to the screen so my page is uh my script is 90 pages long therefore it's roughly 90 minutes long gotcha that's i think now that you say that i think i've I listen to a few podcasts, uh, like some based on TV shows where they talk about script script writing. And I, I now remember the fact that a page equals a minute roughly, you know, um, mm -hmm. that, that's really cool. Um, so you're, you're, you want to give the people a little bit of a tease about what this thing is. Cause last time we talked, I was hooked and I really wanted to, I wanted to see more. It's like, I wanted to like be over your shoulder while you're writing the book. Cause I'm, I'm so intrigued on, uh, on the subject matter. Sure. So the story is uh, two pronged, and again, I'm still working on the outline. So it's it's uh, work in progress. Work in progress. There you go. Thank you. So um, the story, part of the story, is told through this pr the perspective of Jack, and Jack is a geriatric nurse in a uh, nursing home, um, and then the other part of the story is told through the eyes of Monica, who is a journalist and um, whose mother is in the nursing home where Jack works. Um, so. Uh, nursing home patients um, in in this nursing home where they they Jack works, one of them starts to complain that people are coming into her uh, room at night and moving things around and not hurting her but just changing things. Um, so Jack doesn't really think much of it because yeah, he works with dementia patients and um, this is unfortunately a, an occurrence that happens when people start to um, have a cognitive decline and as they age. So then it happens with the second patient and then with the third. And unfortunately, Monica's mother ends up uh, passing away. But before she does, she complains of people coming into her room and changing things around. So that's kind of the premise of the story. And Jack and Monica are going to have to try and figure out what's happening because 
eventually Jack is going to realize that the same thing that's happening to the patients are happening to him. Interesting. Is there a, a is there a reason that you took that route with like I'm always intrigued to hear about like people how like Stephen King like just births the ideas for all these crazy novels he writes like was there any inspiration do you have any like personal life people in your family that are in nursing homes like how did you even begin to come up with this with this idea so for this one um i did so my grandmother uh, my maternal grandmother was in a nursing home uh at the beginning of the year when i started the script writing class and um she had been moved so she was in a private home that was a little bit more independent and then unfortunately her physical state declined a little bit more and she needed to be uh, sent more to um, a palliative care nursing home so when we would go and visit her we would see her and we would also see all of the the patients the other residents in the nursing home um who all some of them had tics, some of them, um, you know, they didn't quite know where they were or uh, who was around them. Um, they were looking for family that wasn't there. And uh, and so that's kind of what got me started on thinking, okay, well, nursing homes, I can see how certain demographics would be taken advantage of. We were visiting my grandmother very, very often. But I know that unfortunately there were patients there who didn't really have family stop by. Um, so that's kind of the idea, the the thing that got me thinking about a nursing home as a um, as as a scene. Interesting, interesting. I'm, I'm sure you also have to do um, research and stuff about nursing homes, just like in case somebody's reading it and it's like that's not factually correct, and then they come at you on social media because you know nobody's safe anymore. Uh, no, no, exactly. Always going to voice their opinions and stuff. Exactly. Right. And uh, I'd like to think that I have a thick skin. Um, and it's interesting, right? Because my my young adult uh, book is a fantasy setting. So fantasy is fun because I can make everything up. <laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I need something to work a certain way, well, this is how the world works. And, uh, and then I, I can skip around that. Um, but that's definitely a challenge that I'm, I'm gearing up for with a slow descent is that fortunately or unfortunately takes place in the world as we know it so um i will have to do a lot of research uh in in different fields to be able to make it as accurate as it can luckily i do know a lot of people who do work in nursing homes or are nurses um so i'm definitely going to milk those contacts as much as i can <laughs> yeah i i mean i would too how about um a, a really good question that just popped in my head that i pray that i didn't just lose but um when you are, oh, when you're talking to publishers, I, I've never also known how this works either. So obviously awesome of Inkwell to be open to so many different kinds of ideas. Cause like you said, you're doing fantasy stuff and then you're doing like a psychological thriller and then you're doing like children's books. I've always wondered, like, just let's say per se that like when Disney's making a new Star Wars trilogy, all three of those films are going to come out through Disney. Mm -hmm. It's not like the director could be like, yeah, Disney was great for the first one, but you know what? I think we want to go over to Sony for the second one. It's not, it's, it's not like that with books. C can the author just jump publishers with, with every book? It's not like, is it a contract you sign with the publisher that says like, you're going to get all three of these books Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it depends on the publisher, but for sure. So my my young adult novel is uh, with a publisher called Inkwell. Uh, no, sorry, Elysian Press. Um, so when I signed with Elysian Press for a, a, 
a forgotten past, I'm mixing up my books now, uh, they have uh, basically dibs on anything that's within the universe that I've created for the Sapera Chronicles. So anything out of that, I'm free to, I'm a free agent. I can basically go to any other publisher. Um, Illusion Press doesn't represent everything. They, they're really a niche publisher for uh, fantasy, science fiction, paranormal. Um, so a slow descent wouldn't really match up with what they're looking for and neither would the children's books. Got you. So that's really interesting. Cool. I, I didn't know that either. Learning so much, people. <laughs> Hopefully everybody else is learning so much about books because I think I've gone on record to say that I really do enjoy reading, but it's only when it's something that's uh, that I truly enjoy. Like, I think the last three books that I've read were um, It by Stephen King, um, 112263 also by Stephen King, and then I think, like, The Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> Very... Very different genres of book there. Yeah. Uh, so it's very cool that Inkwell is open to like freedom. So does that mean that your trilogy belongs to that other publisher and you'll be publishing the other two books with Inkwell? Is that, am I getting that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, great, easy transition um, with the talk about the Sapiro Chronicles. I'm pronouncing that right? You are correctly, yeah. Um, so you've already published the, the first edition, A Forgotten Past. Um, how do you, are you currently writing the second iteration? How do you, how do you write? It's almost like when you ask somebody what they're watching on Netflix and they're like, yeah, I'm watching this and this and this. And you're like, hold on. How are you watching three different shows at once? Don't you get them flip-flopped? You get character names mixed up. How do you write three novel or three books at once? Um, it's, I'll have to admit it. It is a little bit of a challenge. Uh, more than anything, it's a challenge finding the time to focus on on which project. Um, so the the strategy that right now I've kind of employed, and the kids book is pretty done. So that one we're going more into post uh, post production or post writing phase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But the story there is pretty solid. So you know, every now and then when I when I read it over with. Um, Christina, who's my illustrator, and Beverly, uh, I'll strike out a few words or maybe change a few things, but that one's pretty solid. But definitely for for, for writing a slow descent and, a, and um, the sequel to a, for, a forgotten past at the same time, it's been very challenging. I'm very very lucky and blessed to have uh, a friend of mine from university, Kat, who was with me as an editor with a forgotten past and gave me so much valuable feedback, feedback that frankly uh, helped get it published. And I tell her that every single time that we speak. Um, and so now she is, she was hired by Ingle to be my editor for A Slow Descent. And she's also helping me with the second book in the Sapera Chronicles trilogy. So we have our, our strategy down where basically I'll finish an arc in the Sapera Chronicles. I'll send it to her for review. And while she's reviewing it, I'll work on a different milestone for uh, a slow descent. And then when I'm done that, hopefully at, at the same time, she's done her edits for um, book two in the Sapera Chronicles and then we swap. So that's kind of the strategy that we've been employing so far. It's very helpful to work with the same editor for two different projects um, because she just cat pushes me to be a better writer. Um, so she can see kind of weaknesses that come across just in, in my writing and my storytelling and point them out uh, so that I don't make them in whatever next project that I'm working in. Cool. Cool. And Give give uh, the people like a little glimpse into a forgotten past. I, maybe not too heavy on the spoiler <laughs> because I plan on picking up 
um, a copy myself here soon um, and, and to start diving into that. So I uh, so I'm in the loop when round two comes out. Uh, yeah, give us a, give us a little taste. All right. So uh, the Sparrow Chronicles of Forgotten Past takes place in a land called Sapero. And uh, the land of Sapero is an old land. There's it's it's seen a lot of war. It's seen a lot of bloodshed in its past. And um, it's also uh, what I affectionately refer to as a post-magical society. So what I mean by that is that hundreds and thousands of years ago, there were these great sorcerers that were very, very powerful. And through the generations, that magic has trickled down. So everyone has a touch of magic. It's the great power of the sorcerers is no longer, uh, now it's just in story and in, in the legends and the myths of the place, but everyone has a, a little touch. And um, so my protagonist, uh, Lily, she wakes up on the riverbank of uh, a small town called Basalt when she, as a child, and she has no memory of who she is or, or where she's from. Um, so she's adopted by a, a farming couple in Basalt. And one day she, and, and she, her power is a, a beast whisperer. So she can essentially kind of communicate with animals, but really just more sense their intentions, sense what they're after. Uh, she can know if animals are, are coming in her general vicinity. But one day she finds out that her power is actually much, much more powerful than that. Um, and it makes her a target because whoever can get their hands on her first and can control her can then potentially control the kingdom. Wow. So that's the nutshell version without giving too many spoilers. <laughs> do you, do you, like you mentioned it earlier, do you think it's more fun to be able to write in a world where you don't have to worry about people fact checking? Like you could literally make up and be like, yeah, and Lily will summon a steed from from the sky and it will come down and have eight eyes and six mouths. Like not that that's what's going on in this fantasy world, but I can confirm that doesn't happen. <laughs> 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 but for sure, it's, you know, the fantasy genre is so much fun because I can make stuff up on the fly. The challenge with that is that I need to remember what I made up. Uh, so that I don't then contradict myself, you know, 10 pages later, or even kind of write myself into a corner. And then suddenly something that I want to do in book two, I can't because I've sort of set up the scene to not really make whatever I wanted to happen, happen. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. So, so I want to transition back to the screenplay that you wrote. Um, mm -hmm. I forgot to ask. Uh, so you, you've converted that from screenplay to book you're in the process of doing that is there any piece of you that wants to get that made into a movie someday oh i'd love that i'd totally love that <laughs> what about uh a forgotten past what if that was the next young adult uh uh what are they called what what's the um what's that popular series that it came after twilight it was a big it was real famous in the movies it was like allegiant the oh, Divergent um, series. The Divergent, yeah. And there's Divergent, also the Hunger Games. Hunger yeah. Games, Divergent, mm -hmm. Twilight. Those were all like the the popular movie series that were yeah. once books. Is there any piece of you that wants to take these and turn them into movies at some oh, point? I'd love that. I'd love that. And when I was writing it, again, I come from a little bit of a visual background, just from where, uh, taking screen, those screenwriting courses and studying communications and taking film and, and video classes. Uh, so when I was writing A Forgotten Past, I did keep that in mind, just in case, um, you know, maybe I figured if I if I write it enough visually, 
maybe it'll become a movie just by the sheer effort that I'm putting into it. Uh, but yes, I, I would love to see A Forgotten Past either turn into a series or a movie. Um, and, and when I wrote it, I kind of wrote it keeping in mind that that would be something that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure anybody that would that writes stuff, you know, who how did Stephen King know that, you know, 20 years ago or whenever when he was writing his books that he'd be like the global phenomenon that he <laughs> now with this new medium. Mm -hmm. um, all that being said, uh kind of like within the movie talk, uh I'm sure you have several inspirations whether it's in book or film uh that were popular books that turned into movies do you have do you have any that uh that you want to speak of i'm laughing because i know exactly which one we're going to talk about um so yes i am a huge huge fan of michael Crichton, and i'm a huge fan of jurassic park um so when i as a child i loved dinosaurs absolutely loved them, and i still love them to this day uh i would watch uh, the Land Before Time animated movies on repeat. And to the point where the first one that I still have on VHS, the, yeah, <laughs> the beginning of it, whenever I plus, press play, it skips because the tape is so used. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I don't watch it on VHS anymore, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point it would, it would just snap because I've just watched it and rewinded it so many times. Um, so I watched all of the Land Before Time movies over and over again and then i transitioned straight into watching jurassic park <laughs> <laughs> you're going from friendly dinosaurs to not so friendly dinosaurs exactly exactly uh and and years later after already watching um jurassic park over and over and over again i read the book and um so i guess i kind of went about that backwards and it was so interesting to see the source material that creighton created and and see how the story changed when they put it to the screen um and to this day I, I think that both both those stories they they really stand up on their own they can be taken in independently of one another and that's a very difficult thing to do when you're making a movie based on a book uh, a lot of times it doesn't work that well because there's just so much that you need to include and then you have to cut stuff and then the fans aren't happy and the readers aren't happy and the writers aren't happy um but I think in, in the case of Jurassic Park, they just really did it well, where the stories are, are different. The book has to do more with the capitalist nature of creating a park and making money and, and really milking it for every dollar that it's worth. And um, the movie, and maybe it's because of the visual medium, but the movie is really about the wonder of having these dinosaurs that were extinct brought back to life. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I read... I did the same thing you did. I, I watched Land Before Time as a child all the time. Um, it's one of my favorite series, just looking back, the memories of uh, of Littlefoot in the gang. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely loved those. And then same here. I was obsessed with dinosaurs as a kid. My parents tell stories of me running around the house, like stomping and growling and just uh, just absolute obsessed with they they thought for like a significant portion of my childhood that i was going to grow up and be some kind of scientist or biologist or paleontologist or whatever um but yeah jurassic park no surprise to the people who listen to this podcast obviously i named it originally after a quote from jurassic park favorite movie of all time uh no questions asked there um and yeah i i read the book 
a few years ago and was just as surprised as you were to see like, oh, this is very different. But mm -hmm. it translated the way that the direction that they took into film, like it was almost perfect. It was almost like the, the clock struck or like lightning struck a tree or something. Like it, it's almost like most book to movie adaptations has somebody upset about something. Yeah. For the most part, unless I've missed it, Jurassic Park doesn't really have any people that are upset. It's incredible. Yeah, no, they, they did a really fantastic job. And I mean, it's still a classic to this day, right? And and what's wonderful about the movie, I mean, the movie came out in 93? 93, I think. Yeah, yeah, 93. And it still stands the test of time, right? When you watch it today, and I find that something that happens with, CGI stuff. It's uh, at some point it starts to look aged, or it doesn't really. You can tell, like really tell <laughs> that it's it's computer animated. But man, the those original movies they they really really stand up to the test of time. They really do. Do you have any? Did you read The Lost World as well? I did. Yeah, I haven't read that one. Is that one also way different than the movie, or did they? more accurately represent that one on the on the screen i'm trying to remember that one isn't as at the front of my mind as jurassic park for some reason i think i think that it's closer to the movie but i also think because after the success of jurassic park uh, michael creighton didn't plan to have a sequel but after uh, you know they made so much money <laughs> with the movie uh, i think the studio went and asked him to write kindly write another book um, which he did. So I think since they asked him to write the book, they might have based it more closely on on the movie, but I would have to reread it again to be firm in my answer. Do you have any negative thoughts about the more recent additions to the series? Or are you like me that just says Jurassic Park's one of my favorites, even if the movie's horrible, like I'm still going to throw it on and have a good time watching it? Um, I think we're definitely in the same camp for that. I, I love anything dinosaurs, anything Jurassic Park. So I, I'm happy with what they did with the sequel and Jurassic World is incredible. Um, and I, I find that the sentiment in Jurassic World is closer to that original Crichton movie where it's more on you know, the making money and uh, you know selling merchandise. And this is a theme park. And kids are bored now with seeing a stegosaurus. Uh, I mean, I wish I lived in a world where <laughs> kids were bored of <laughs> yeah, right. being a stegosaurus. Um, so I'm I'm happy that they continued with the franchise. And yeah, it's different than the original. But if they had done the same thing, then it would just be the same story told over and over again. So I'm kind of liking the direction that they're taking. I agree. I agree. Going back to writing, uh, who were some of your bigger influences uh or inspirations like in terms of writing like did you have like favorite authors growing up as well that you were like man i'd love to be able to do something as half as good as this person definitely definitely um let's see i'm trying to remember them now so one of the first middle grade books that i read as a child was silverwing by kenneth opal who's also a canadian writer so you know, shout out to my to my fellow Canadians. Um, that was a really interesting story. And it was a story about a young bat who gets separated from his family and needs to find his way home. Um, and I, it was just so interesting to see how uh, Opal described the world through a, 
a bat who uses echolocation. So um, I remember that striking me e even as, as a young child, the, the descriptive power of writing and the effect that it can have on the reader and, and the images that come to mind when you, when you read the text. So that was definitely one of the earliest influences that I had. And I do have all of the uh, Silverwing related books. So Silverwing, and then there's, I have them up there actually. Wow, wow. Um, and I guess one of my, my last questions I had here uh, was what's next for you? You've got, you've got the, uh, the psychological thriller in the works. You're I'm sure doing early stages of the second of the trilogy. Uh, and you've got the children's book that's coming out uh, next summer, springish. Um, what's a little, uh, what, give me a glimpse on that. I don't think I asked for a glimpse on that one either, just a tease. And that, that is being published with Inkwell as well, yes, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. Okay. So The Imagination Machine is a story of a little boy named Sam who has lost his imagination. And uh, so he asks his friend Ophelia, who has an imagination machine, to help him find it. So together they're going to go, they go on, on this adventure to see if they can find Sam's lost imagination and return it to him. Wow, that sounds awesome. See, see, kids' books just sound so dope. I want to write a kid <laughs> book so bad. I don't know how to start it. I've got so many ideas. Uh, maybe I'll use Inkwell to publish it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess besides all that, Tiff, what's what's next? Is there something that you haven't done yet that you're really w trying to do? Are you comfortable where you're at? Are you content working with what you're working on? What's what's next for Tiff in 2021? Well, in 2021, Tiff has to get her act together and finish two books. <laughs> so that's, that's the first thing is finishing um, the sequel to uh, A Forgotten Past. And the only reason why I don't say the title for the sequel is because I haven't decided on it yet. Um, <laughs> and uh, I also need to finish A Slow Descent. But I do have a notebook that I keep nearby that uh, whenever I have an idea for a story, I run over, run over to my notebook and I scrabble scribble it into the margins so that I don't forget it and then I close it and I put it back. I have 20 pages of stories that are kicking around in there that um, are next in line for whenever I manage to wrap these projects up. So I have a third children's book written um, that I'm just waiting to surprise Christina with. <laughs> <laughs> longer to illustrate than to write um but uh, but yeah so I, I already have the third one written and um my next book after i'm done with the spare chronicles after i'm done with the slow descent i have another idea for a, an adult fantasy story a standalone that i might work on so we'll see we'll see what uh, what mood i'm in when when i finish uh those two do you uh, another question to something you just said you said a standalone do you think it's easier to write something in several books or would you rather it be like a one and done it's closed the story's done no more uh i mean yeah what what are your thoughts um that's it's an interesting one to answer because i'm not i'm not too sure the beauty of so i planned a forgotten past in my last year at university because i knew that i needed something a project to kind of sink my teeth into or my claws into for after I graduated so that I wouldn't die of boredom and not knowing what to do after graduation. So at the time a trilogy made sense because it fit the story. Um, 
the beautiful thing about a trilogy is that if the book is starting to get a little long, I can take stuff and put them into the sequel. With a standalone, everything needs to fit into the book. So it's different challenges. And I'm not sure if I answered your question, but it's it's different challenges for different formats. No, you definitely did. That that makes total sense. You could be like, oh, this chunk of story could just be the intro to the second book. Whereas if you're mm-hmm. writing a single story, you're like, looks like this is about to be like 3,000 pages. Like, <laughs> I got to fit all this in. Exactly, exactly. So it's interesting. Both have their 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 strengths and their weaknesses. And I guess one of the challenges of writing the trilogy is um, trying to one-up the book that appeared before it right so a forgotten past is about lily and her struggle and her um her kind of quest to find out who she is why she's important and why so many people are trying to kill her and then book two uh is more the story gets bigger so it's it's it takes a step back from just lily and then sees her importance in the world but also all the other players that are involved and um yeah, it has more of a of a of a global view of what's happening. Well, cool, Tiffs. Thank you so much for for sitting here in front of me for the last forty minutes and talking to me about all this. I was thoroughly uh, entertained and I, I learned a lot. But before I let you go, um, I'll give you this moment for uh, plugging away. You can plug websites, books, links, whatever, and whatever you plug, I'll throw it in the description of the episode so that people can just click and go right to whatever you say. So go ahead and just plug away. Amazing. Thank you so much, Logan. All right. So if you are interested in young adult fantasy, or you know someone who's interested in young adult fantasy, you can absolutely get my book, of Forgot- uh, The Sapera Chronicles of Forgotten Past on Amazon. It is available as an ebook, but also as a print copy. Um, and if you are interested in finding out more about Jack and his adventures or the imagination machine or any other, um, book that will appear hopefully soon you can absolutely subscribe to my newsletter that's the best way to to stay in the loop uh i'll have logan include a link on how to do that in the description but you can also follow me on facebook and instagram my handle for both is at tiffany lafleur author uh, and that's definitely where you want to be if you want to stay in the loop about all the cool projects that are going to be coming out shortly wow awesome thanks tiff so much for everything this was a lot of fun. And guys, while you're going over and following her on Instagram, you might as well pop over and follow me again. In, in case you didn't before, I told you at the top to follow. If you haven't yet, go hit the follow button. Who doesn't like getting updates about things? You guys probably follow five different Netflix shows on Instagram. Follow my podcast on Instagram. It'll tell you when everything's dropping, like interviews just like this one are dropping, all of that fun stuff. Big shouts to Inkwell for... Uh, putting this together and letting me talk to tiffs uh, always great to be able to make uh, new friends and learn about people's crafts and uh, what makes them uh, what makes them get up in the morning so yep subscribe rate review i'll tune us out tiffs we'll talk later thank you so much thank you logan If you could multiply something 50 times, what would that something be? Milkshakes? Minutes in the day? How about money? 
The Virginia Lottery's 50 times the money scratcher gives you 25 chances to win on each ticket. You could win up to $3 million playing 50 times the money. Yeah, multiplying money sounds like fun. No offense to milkshakes. Virginia Lottery Scratchers. Everyday wins. Visit a lottery retailer near you. For odds and more information, visit valottery.com.